0: 16 Game Point. You're so bad at this. Oh. I am victorious. Oh. Sorry to see that, gay man. Thank you, Mrs. Penguin. Thank you very much. Why didn't you tell your father what Mrs. Penguin found on her picnic table? A severed head? It was a pile of human... poop. <laughs> okay, that's great. Here's what we've been noticing. Edwin acts like he's under constant pressure.
1: Where's your book? In my locker. Well, what good is
0: it doing you in there?
1: He can't get his locker up. <laughs> we have noticed a shift in behavior this year. Was there any kind of traumatic event?
0: What's up, now? Get off him! Get off him! Hey, oh. hey, hey, hey! Right now! Well, I got older. Well, greetings and salutations, movie geeks. Dean Treadway here. Welcome. And thanks for joining us. Today's show is devoted to a film that I first saw in November 2017 at the Rome International Film Festival in Georgia. The movie we are featuring right now, titled And Then I Go, ended up nabbing that festival's best narrative feature prize, both from its jury and its audience. It mightily deserves to go on to further high acclaim this year, because I feel in my gut that And Then I Go may be the most emotionally devastating and visually gorgeous film of its pedigree we are likely to see in 2018. The troubled lives that teen boys lead in today's America is the central focus of Vincent Grishaw's stunning new film available for home viewing on demand starting April 15th an adaptation of Jim Shepard's 2004 novel, Project X. Mr. Shepard, along with co-screenwriter Brett Haley, have deftly drawn the strained atmosphere engulfing two Anytown America kids. The handsome but underconfident Edwin, beautifully underplayed by Armand Dar- Darvo, and the more lanky and angry Flake, intensely portrayed by Sawyer Barth. Each of these young actors successfully fulfill the film's demanding brief, conveying a sense of percolating frustration with their bullied school life and strained, occasionally empathetic home lives. Flake's parents are hard-hearted and probing, while Edwin's are trying mightily to comprehend the daily frustrations eating away at their eldest son, which are keeping him sleepless at at night, I am perpetually in dread of the following school day. Edwin's parents are played by Justin Long and Melanie Linsky, who made her film debut in Heavenly Creatures, which would work well on a double bill with this film. With a caustic wit and a friendly tough love, Long plays the father with a gentle sarcasm aimed at uh, undercutting dinner table tensions. Uh, Linsky, min- meanwhile, tries a more tender, empathetic approach with her eldest boy, who is sweetly receptive to her outreach, but who just can't make a connection that will derail the vicious forces overtaking him. Tony Hale, the Emmy-winning star of HBO's Veep, plays the principal of their bustling high school, who's doing his best to maintain and manage the storm clouds he sees brewing over a thousand kids at once we suspect he views flake whom we never see him in conference with as being a lost cause who's too far gone to reach but he clearly spots in edwin an artistic soul who can still be rescued in some of the film's most incisive incisive scenes Hale meets privately with edwin and then with He and his parents attempting to find solutions to the boys' academic slippage, but he seems frustratingly powerless against the tide of deep anger and resentment in the boys. Meanwhile, Carrie Preston's warm-hearted art teacher encourages Edwin's creative side, and Melanie Diaz's concerned assistant principal reaches out to help Edwin access the school locker that consistently refuses to open for him. These moments with the generous but overwhelmed teaching staff give us some respite from the tension uh, in the film, while performances from teens like Royalty Hightower from 2015's The Fits and Dallas Edwards as a bullied, overweight kid continually impress with their genuine candor. Director Vincent Kershaw, definitely maintains an elegant air to And Then I Go with gorgeous light-dappled widescreen photography from Pat Scola, radically true-to-life art direction from Sean Keenan and costumer Kimberly Lights, intense editing from Alan Canant, and best of all, a needling string score from Heather McIntosh who has in the past contributed standout work to films like Craig Zobel's Z for Zachariah and Compliance. Kershaw uh, avoids comforting mainstays like a reliance on pop songs on the soundtrack, with only one carefully chosen tune meant, I think, as a short and veiled reference to another murderous film classic. In doing so, the director wisely refuses to diminish the story's building steam, preferring to keep it all percolating madly. All the while, he wisely retains the power of humor and observational detail to season this tale. And as a result, in the end, we are left breathless and stunned by it. then I go with uh, suspense, uh, empathy, and an unsparing eye It is unquestionably the best film yet released in 2018, which is really turning out to be the finest movie year in some time, so that is really high praise. Though with the incessant news of horrific mass violence and the resultant nationwide street protests and school walkouts, this may seem like a subject that has reached somewhat of a saturation point in the current culture, but it really hasn't been tackled filmically with such understanding and high artistic aims since Gus Van Sant delivered his Columbine-inspired tone poem, Elephant, back in 2003. And then I go also made me think of Jonathan Kaplan's 1979 classic, Over the Edge, which is a tougher movie, and which I recommended to the director at the Rome Festival. Vincent Kershaw's film, is absolutely in the same league as those masterpieces, and uh, though it can be similarly trying, it has an authentic soul of its own impeccable pedigree. It absolutely must be seen by all movie lovers, all kids, and all parents. And now, here on Movie Geeks United, we're honored to speak with uh, director Vincent Kershaw, who with unerring generosity discusses his filmmaking journey with us. Take a listen please. Okay, Vincent, uh thank you for being here uh, listen, um you know, I just finished watching the movie again and uh it uh, really affects me. Uh, very emotional emotional movie. Um uh so I got to get myself together. Um can you <laughs> No no I, uh, I that's what I want for movies. Um
1: um thanks so much for having having me on the show. I you know it was good to meet you in Georgia when I was there with the film festival and uh um yeah, I'm glad you got to see it again and glad I I mean I, in a way I'm I'm happy it affects you, it's, you know, obviously a very serious topic right now
0: and a hot button issue. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Um, Can you tell us, uh, you know, as a way of introduction for people who may not know your name, a little bit about your filmmaking past? Yeah, sure. Um,
1: Yeah, so I'm Vincent Grasso. I directed the film. Um, Yeah, I basically, uh, cutting a long, long story short, because I spent a good amount of time in my young adult life trying to get films made, you know, kind of trying to find a way in. And, you know, and I think any filmmaker out there knows that it never really gets easier the process, even when you jump to, you know, bigger budgets and stuff like that. And so I kind of just dove headfirst in out of high school after making, you know, my own projects on my own kind of naive to thinking, yeah, I'm going to find my way and jump right in and make movies and (laughs) people are going to love it. Just kind of a, a, a reality check, you know, because I didn't go to college or um, film school or anything. Um, I just watched a lot of movies growing up. and I think it was those impressionable years, you know, from like creative. I, I call them the creative impressionable years is like 14, 18. And, you know, the movies that I was watching really, really kind of influenced the material I liked and what I kind of responded to. Um, so
0: I think many, those many years, years... of yeah yeah i think those years are uh, incredibly influential for us i mean i know it is it, they were for me uh those are still uh you know i consider those years those years when i was uh you know 14 to 18 uh when i was watching watching movies at home and on cable and on on vhs and And then you know I started reviewing movies when I was seventeen, so all of those movies kind of uh, are really still the movies that I I go back to again and again and consider them those years to be the greatest filmmaking film movie years for movie making ever. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so continue. No, I mean, I totally agree.
1: I think, you know, and you know, it's funny is like the movies that I'm talking about aren't even necessarily my favorite films. They're just the ones I will never forget. And the ones that, you know, I'll give you an example um, of a movie that was the first time that I really realized what it is to, to for music and for cinematography to kind of get into your subconscious as a as a viewer, just as an audience, was uh, the movie, the Spike Lee film He Got Game and uh, mm. it was one that even still sticks with me today just how that all meshed in a way that just it it, it as a filmmaker now it, it's just all vital they're all very very um they're all different levels of language in a way um mm-hmm. and so that's why i guess you know films are really special and they're this this medium that i don't think will ever die because people want to escape and you know be moved and, and and in this case of and then I go a movie that, you know you know, touches you in a way that you know, we need right now to to come to come to terms with what's going on. Like with uh,
0: Yeah, to come to kids some, in schools. some kind of understanding, yeah. 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 But anyway, um, so I I, yeah. I
1: I spent many years in my twenties trying to get a movie made and, and finally um had some success with one that they produced, um, back in 2011, which, um, that's when it came out. We, we spent three years getting it finished for no money. Um, but it was just a group of friends and we all got together and made a movie called bellflower and we did Sundance and, uh, we we're, you know, did distribution and then were nominated for a couple of spirit awards. So it was a, a very, you know, and that was after ten years of trying to get in this business. So in that one year of that experience on that film, it overwhelmed my ten years of what I think I knew the business was or how to get in. And you're kind of, you know, when you make a movie like that, you, it just for us it kind of translated into being invited in a weird way and welcomed into this industry. You know, there's a sort of stamp of approval. Um, so it just made things a little, a little bit easier to get made. Um, so the movie mm-hmm. I spent my entire 20s trying to direct myself finally <laughs> got the opportunity, which was uh, Cold Water, and that we premiered at South by Southwest in 2013. So yeah, it's just uh, it kind of went through a battlefield for a while and learned a shitload about contract law. I don't know if I can curse. I'm sorry. You can.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> it's
1: fun. <laughs> but I just learned a lot about just. What it what getting burned is like, and getting screwed over, and and being lied to, and like I said, contract law. I'm like, I feel
0: like I have a degree in street contract law now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all it's it's such a you know a minefield uh, to for films for filmmakers to navigate. Uh, it's it's unbelievable, but uh, when they finally do, it's uh, it gets it gets them uh, really up to speed and uh, and ready to go. Uh, when they when they get a really good idea or whatever let me let me ask you about this how did you uh how did you first encounter Jim Shepard's book which is Project X the book that this is uh this is uh and then I go totally, yeah. uh, adapted from
1: well essentially i um i uh met the i've known the producers of and then i go for several years when i I met them at Sundance in 2011 and just, we were friends over the years and you know, they had been trying to get, uh, and then I go the novel of uh, novel adaptation of project X for eight years or six years at the time. And so they were looking for a director and hit me up and were like, Hey, we got financing for this movie. Um, uh, You know, what are you working on? And I was like, you know, I've been trying to do this other film and get it financed. And I was like, so yeah I love to read it and so they sent me the book and the script and the next day I read it and kind of freaked out because you know the topic of school shootings and and gun violence in in schools is something I've researched on my own just as a true crime reader you know obviously Columbine I I graduated high school the year Columbine happened um, have a friend Mm -hmm. that went there and was there that year Um, and so you know I was versed on the topic, but I did think it had been tackled already in a way. I, I was, you know, I'd seen Elephants and we need to talk about *Kevin* and some other school shooting movies, and I just was like, "Oh, really, another one?" And but when I read this, it was completely different. It was from an entirely different perspective, and you know, like I said, I said there's, I don't think there is any sort of one answer to kind of solve this issue. It's it's way more complicated mm-hmm. and. And, and deeper and deeply rooted. And, um, you know, so, but I felt like if there were answers, it, it, a lot of it was in the, in this book in, in some way. And um, mm. so I, I just really responded to it because, you know, it, it, it was different. And so I, you know, I basically came on board two months before having to go to Kentucky to film. So I, I, I essentially campaigned for it with the, the producers and uh, my vision and stuff like that. And then met and flew out to New York to meet the author, Jim Shepard. And we, you know, we talked over uh, a couple of drinks at a, at a cool little restaurant in New York and just, uh, you know, hung out for a few hours and just talking, just talking about the, the book and the scripts and kind of where my head was at. And, you know from there I got hired and there you go that's how I got involved I mean I didn't I wasn't living with this project like a personal script of mine or anything you know but it was something that I fell in love with very quickly
0: Was this the first time that you had uh con- you know I imagine you, with the other two the other two movies you had written a script yourself uh it was just the first time you had uh worked with uh, screenwriters uh that You like that. Your screenwriters, of course, our our Jim Shepard and Brett Haley. So,
1: yeah, I mean, um, I didn't really get to work too much with Brett Haley on it because he was off directing another movie. Um, But he adapted the script with Jim Shepard, obviously, and then um, I did. You know, I got to communicate with Jim about it. But you know, I'm more of a. A direct. I love reading other people's material and falling in love with that, and and making it my own. I I would prefer it. It's a lot quicker. The turnaround of working as a director is a little faster. Uh, and and you're you're a little more open to compromise or collaborating in a way because you know um, I, I I realize when you do write something, you, you're a lot more vulnerable and naked about it. Like you almost mm-hmm. you're very protective. Um, and I don't have that same, it, it's still there in a way, but it's not the same. It's, it's, and I actually enjoy that. Um, you know, I don't, I write some, my first feature I wrote, but, um, but this was obviously I've only, this is my second feature that I've directed. And yeah, so it was the first time having to kind of take on other people's material, but I
0: loved it. I loved every bit of it. What the, what what were the challenges of it? Uh, were there uh, you know discussions, or I mean uh, contentious discussions, or uh, were they all amicable? Or yeah, I mean you know
1: it, it, it's interesting because you know you you have a novel that is something that Jim spent many many years researching, and I, I don't I don't come from a, a standpoint as like anything that's wrong with it ever like I mean if if you fall in love with it, it you did for a reason and um, you know so it was always amicable at least between him and I I can't speak for others you know I wasn't there in the development process of the script but from when I came on you know it, it was very much you know on the same page you know there was a lot of uh, levity and humor in the books um, that you know he was really um, adamant about making sure we had that sort of everyday life around the dinner table, chaotic conversations with parents, you know, and it's needed because it is a heavy topic. And so he was Mm -hmm. really adamant that that come through as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. For me, um, I really agreed with it. Um, I saw the, you know, the pitfalls the movie could have, could have had without it. And um, Mm -hmm. so it was definitely something he was, uh, he, he he felt strongly
0: about. Yeah. We'll probably return to, discussion script in a, in a second but I do want to get to also uh the um other you know some of your other collaborators on this the um uh, the score first of all is so amazing uh Heather McIntosh whose name I first learned uh in her debut for Compliance which uh which is Craig Zobel's movie and uh which yeah. I thought was incredible uh uh, and uh, this kind of dovetails into the sound design of the movie too, which I think is amazing. And uh, but uh, I, I love the use of the score and the use of silence in the film. Uh, can you talk on? Can you talk about some of your philosophies towards towards uh, the use <laughs> of this? Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, I guess I'll sound design. You know, for me, that's almost the same as, as 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 being the director. You need to have a grasp on what your sound design is going to be just as much as you would cinematography or music. Mm-hmm. It, it's really yeah. vital. You know, and I'm more of an editor-director as well, so I, I typically edit or have a hand in editing the stuff I do. Um, yeah, and like to. I really think it's such a... It's not like just directing is you go on set and you tell people things. And, you know, it's uh, part of the vision is, is, is exploring things. And so I like to get in there with sound design and try a lot of different things on my own. You know, a lot of times having sound design elements while you're in pre-production, uh, I I basically obviously go through and and get, uh, bring up a lot of score references in pre-production I listen to a lot of music in pre-production a lot um because it just puts you one in the headspace and it just helps you kind of grind out your movie in your head and it's like laying the foundation and so I you know when meeting up with Heather McIntosh who did the score you know she had a heavy heavy um grasp of what I what I wanted and then in that you know from there making it her own, which again, for me, it's just a matter of, you know, giving them what, you know, telling them what your vision is and letting them run with it and, you know, having that freedom. And, you know, Heather is, she's just, <laughs> I saw Compliance back at Sundance that year. And, you know, one of the main elements of that I loved was her score and the cello. And it had, it just really, it was great for that film. And, you know, in oh, all yeah. we have. You know, it is a, a very meditative and atmospheric, but also has a lot of those like uh, strings and cello, kind of uh, a part. Uh, I don't know how I, I don't. Know, I forgot the word she would say, but we, you know, it's fun. I love working with composers and just being in there and watching them try some stuff. You know, it's just mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It, you know how we get? We work so hard to get films going, and so when you finally are, this is all fun. This is like. It, it's not the job job the job job is always just getting the money or getting the project going because once you're doing it it makes,
0: it makes all that shit worthwhile
1: everything you oh yeah there, or else why we're why not still be doing this
0: <laughs> i always like to say that editing is the reason to uh, be a filmmaker because you get in there with all the elements all of the you know all of the things at your fingertips and uh, and you see it come together, and that's when you are like, oh my god, you know, you're overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, no, and, uh,
1: and to 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 that, you know, to the score, it's like Heather's work ethic is everything you'd want as a filmmaker. Like she, you know, she goes above and beyond what one what you pay her, and I don't know if she would like me saying that, but for me, it was <laughs> just like, you know, the amount of hours you spend with somebody. I mean, you spend so many hours and, and uh, there is no clock on the clock, you know, and it's really hard to, be, it would be really difficult to be that way or even produce the best material if there was. So it was, she was just always, um, she's very easy to work with. And, um, you know, there's elements I've I've seen with composers and even, you know, just editors of, of films that get very protective of their own work and, and, they're a little more closed off and what they think is right opposed to, you know, what, you know, what you do. And so there could be conflict and not that that is wrong or, you know, or bad. I just, with her, it was just very seamless and I appreciate that, you know?
0: Uh, I want to talk about, about the look of the movie, um, you know, uh, with, with, uh you know your cinematographers uh, um, is Pat Scola and uh, there's a beautiful look to the movie it, it looks like a it looks like a memory uh, uh, it's very uh, very much a uh, magic hour looking uh, and uh, it's it's really really beautiful I want to talk about the uh, aspects of that from the lighting design to the uh, to the decision to to limit handheld work and um, and so forth, and um, what led you and Pat to uh, develop the look of the movie, which right. is extraordinary.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, we had a lot of conversations
0: about um,
1: what was going to, like, back to my point about, you know, cinematography being its own language for your movie as well. It's how to really... Put you in head, Edwin's, uh, the lead character, the kids' headspace, um, which is really, really, I felt th- I was really, really important. We do that, and um, you know, it, it, in the pre-production process, before you even hire a DP, that's another thing you. For me, I really dive into. I, I shot list the whole movie before, just so it's from my brain to paper, and then you redo it again when you're with the DP and have a lot of conversations. The one thing about Pat that I really loved because I met with a lot of DPs, none of the guys i had worked with before were available. And so I, you know, had a lot of meetings with different cinematographers and Pat had a very strong opinion and not that the others didn't. It's just, there was something about him that I was like, look, I have a lot that I think, but I, I really loved what he brought to the table, even just in our early interviews. And, um, you know, uh, he's got a very particular look and, and, himself. And I fell in love with that when I just saw his reel, but um, you know, the, you would notice in the film, you know, the camera with the, with the lead kid is always around him up close. Like it didn't really ever distance itself from him. You're always, you know, there's a lot of takes that, you know, they really hold on to this kid's face and, and, but the camera's close, but with the adults, it was always from his direction, the kid's direction. So coverage would never really take place between the parents and each other. There would never be camera angles between them. And, you know, we thought that would have really helped kind of communicate that, that we're in this kid's world. We're in his headspace. It's what he is receiving and hearing, not anybody else. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always been more of a fan of a sort of theatrical, I guess, cinematic non handheld or you know down and dirty experience for the films that I do Um, I think every movie you know if there is a movie that is strictly just handheld it's really great it's all purposeful and makes sense for that movie for me I just we chose a a little more you know like you said it's very still I mean there's movements and stuff but it and and, but handheld is pretty limited you know um Mm -hmm. We just thought, it, again, uh, it was just – the movie did – It's it was more of a character study and a sort of meditative feel that built and
0: built throughout to the end, you know? Right. And then we get move on to the editing, uh, which the editor is uh, um, Alan, Alan Canant, Canant uh, it, which is uh, very methodical, uh, very tight, uh, no fat on the movie, Uh, do you have a, do you have an editing philosophy? Yeah. Uh, Well,
1: um, you know, it was the first time that I didn't edit something that I worked on. Um, Mm. like I was, you know, essentially we shot the movie and he's based out of New York. I was, I live in Los Angeles. So it was really kind of difficult for me to kind of come to terms with that. Um, and not being in the room or even there, you know? um but it was it it, it it we got a cut very together fairly quickly after the edit and kind of just let him do his thing for the first assembly and you know he would send scenes and um the one of the uh, his his editing you know how a lot of times you know you have a, a first cut that's pretty rough and you know you you massage it in and uh, over over a couple of tweaks a lot of times his first cuts were really, really solid. And um, you were like, wow, okay, there's not much that we need to do here, you know, very minor Mm -hmm. stuff. And so that was exciting because he has a really um, great, uh, he hes a great eye for like timing and pacing, especially Mm -hmm. with this film. I think he really really understood kind of what we were going for. Um, So, you know, after an assembly and, uh, and we got a, a, a solid cut together. He flew to LA and him and I spent like a week, I think a week or two in LA, um, in our post house,
0: uh, fine tuning everything, you know? Dark direction feels, uh, very, very authentic, very real. Um, and, uh, in that, in that vein also, I want to talk about the school that you used and, uh, where that was right. and, uh, and what the, what uh, what the uh, school board or whatever ha, if they had any kind of issues with this kind of movie being uh, being filmed right. in one of their structures? All right. Yeah.
1: So in terms of you know the production design locations and uh, you know art direction, you know it, for me when I when, you know when I got hired and we were you know we decided we were going to shoot in Kentucky. You know one of the things I was really nervous about was one finding a school that was gonna let us do the movie, but not only that finding a school that 'cause uh that had you know that was photogenic and had a texture and, and, and uh you know a personality to it because mm-hmm. you know i think the the fear was we can we even find a school that was gonna let us do this um and and I was just hoping it was gonna have some sort of character and you know um Essentially, we spent some time in Kentucky scouting, and uh, our location manager was friends with uh, one of the vice principals at the school. Her name is Jay. And uh, she, without her, we would not have landed at school, um, which to me uh, would have been a disaster because we really didn't have any other options. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just the texture of the, of the, the bricks, uh, uh, of the the walls in, in the hallways, it it all had so much going for it. I was I was just so I was very excited when we first scouted it. It was everything I was looking for. Um, but it was it's always so nerve wracking because you just you know so many things have to fall into place to to you know for it to get this. And you know, good portion of the movie is shot there. And there's a you know a very intense scene that's shot there with you know I don't want to spoil anything, but. It, you know, they grasped what we were, what this movie was trying to say. They 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 saw it, it wasn't gratuitous, it wasn't glorifying, and they wanted to really be part of the conversation with it. You know, and so you know that was a, they actually at that school had a uh, had experienced a shooting. They had mm-hmm. a kid bringer going to school there. I'm not sure how how much before, but um, so you know. They were just really receptive to it, and um, you know the uh, it was interesting during scouting though. They actually had a um, a uh, a shooting gout. and I you know I'm from Los Angeles. So there's no way my high school had a, a target shooting uh, like area where there would there would be target practice, and so they actually had that you know for people to be trained and you know at their own school. I just thought that was fascinating you know? Um, mm. but, um, yeah, so, hey, you know, the school had its own world and then, you know, the, obviously the kids, you know, it was important for everything just real and natural and, and, you know, you know, these yeah. are just everyday America life, you know, in, in their homes and, um, you know, and it, Sean did a great, great job at, you know, communicating
0: that. Yeah, it's incredible. Um okay, so we move on to the casting process with uh you know, not uh, we'll talk about the kids first and then the uh then the adults that are in it, uh, who are notable actors. Uh but these are mostly newcomers or uh well we're, we're really talking about uh, uh Armin Darbo uh and in the lead as Edwin and uh and Soria and Soria Barth, Barth as uh as Flake. Uh, His friend uh, and uh, and, you know some of the other kids, including royalty High Tower, who was in the fits and uh, yeah. So uh, so what was that process like for you? Yeah, well,
1: casting on this was uh, something that I knew right away that the movie was going to live and die by the two leads. Like if if they were not. The right age and, and didn't deliver performances that they did. This movie just wasn't gonna wasn't gonna translate. And um, so, you know, we we searched for uh, for casting. oh our God, uh, basically, our casting directors in New York had sessions. We had sessions in L.A. We had self tapes being sent in from all around North America. So it was substantial, but it was interesting because the first sessions in New York, uh, they found Flake. Um, you know, they found a kid who, when we saw him, initially came to read for Hedlund, and it just was did not fit at all. But they were like, wait a minute, here. Gave him the the Flake audition sites, and he spent like two two or five minutes with it, and he's like, oh, okay, I got this. And he came back and just killed it. Right away, it was like, oh, I guess this is going to be our kid because he's phenomenal, and he had this sort of confidence there that, you know, these kids both were only 14 years old at the time when they filmed it. And that was another important thing for me. It wasn't to pass older to play younger because I, I you know, this is middle school. It's not high school. And, you know, I think most audiences see right through that. Is the moment you have somebody, you got somebody with like facial hair. Too old for to it or whatever. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Their voices yeah. haven't hit that point yet. And, and, you know, when we actually were in post-production, Armin's voice, you know, he was, there was that transition. So it was like an ADR. It was really difficult because he sounded completely different just within a year. But um, mm. yeah. And so that was one, definitely one thing you could go through when like, you make a movie over a period of a year with a kid who's, you know, hitting that age in his life. And um, But Armin has a very interesting uh, past in terms of where, you know, he can't, you know, he auditioned for me in LA and um he 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 didn't look like your average everyday kid actor. He he had this he had elements of Edwin that we were looking for, I think inherent in him in terms of you know, he's quiet and very, very smart, um worldly almost. Like he just you know, Armin lived in China for eight years and France for two years, Costa Rica for a year, and now he'd been in LA for a year. And so you know, he speaks four languages, and um, he comes in. You can in feel and, that intelligence you know, in the movie. You know. Yeah. No, and and you know, not enti- You know, not very experienced with just. I think you know carrying a, a whole movie on his shoulders, and mm. just I think he had the time of his life behind the scenes. You know, and Ooh. and you know, he kind of was coming out of his shell a bit, and and you saw that a lot behind the scenes. Um, And him and Sawyer are two totally different kids. You know, Sawyer has, uh, it's just different. You think that, uh, the fact is that, you know, they're believable in the movie as friends. To me, it's like they're two totally different uh, kids in real life. And it's just really interesting to see that play out on screen together because it really works. Because I think there's a little bit of that confidence in Sawyer that translates to flake and a little bit of that, you know, kind of quiet, um, you know, shy kid that t- translates over to Edwin, you know? Yeah. But, it, yeah, it, it they, com- they basically completely worked. It, it was all there. It was all there with them. And um, very exciting to witness. Like, you know, you, you think you get out on, you know, do a movie with young kids that you're going to have to kind of coach them through everything. And they both just brought so much. Research and and their own their own um craft to it that I didn't really have to do a ton like you know it's like guiding them to what they need to be where they need to be but they're just they would blow you away and you kind of just look at it around being like this, is, <laughs> this just happened you know I I know there was several scenes where Edwin you know one in particular when Edwin is emotional and everybody is like crying at the monitor I'm just like what, what what
0: we're watching with this kid is it's
1: remarkable. It really was
0: yeah he's um, great, he's great in it. great uh you know i I love that uh you know Edwin is really loving to his little brother uh you know uh, uh you know he's got a, a you know a lesser uh less intelligent movie would not have done that, and I love that Edwin is kind of a romantic and uh and uh of course an artist and uh you know, it's uh, it's an incredible performance, yeah. and and uh, and well, Sawyer like, is well, perfect too, is perfect in it too. You know, the character was about humanizing them in a way that, you know, even when they have
1: these really dark minds or they, you know, they they're planning something awful. You know, it's a mistake to kind of classify oh they're just a monster and everything they do is is you right. know along that uh, sort of narrative. You know, you know this kid has a little brother. He wants to be normal. He doesn't want him to experience what he is, and at least in his own mind, and you know, cares about him. And the, if you just do one thing right, it's like finding his nerf ball, just so he can be happy and not, you know, be upset. And um, you know, there that that sort of relationship in the book really, really, really hit me. Um, You know, and and the talent, like the potential of, you know, a kid. You know, like with youth in general, everything is, like, so extreme and intense. And, you know, because your world is so small. And so everything is the end of the world and drastic. And it's really, I think, what speaks to a lot of what's going on is think about how, when you're that young, how easy one little thing can tip you to something really extreme or Mm resolve it and then you're fine, and nobody no tears, nobody knows about it, you know, and, and then if you thought about it, you're like, wow, I came this close to doing something that could have ruined my life, and I think it happens a lot more than people even want to think about into normal kids that are with potential and have talent, and one day we'll have kids like, man, that was awful when I was that age, but I got through it because I didn't make that decision that would have led to this, you know, but there are, and these are tiny circumstances. These are things that are just, that can mold your
0: life, but at that age, it's, like,
1: it's enormous, you know?
0: Yeah. My experience uh, in school was uh, was really in high school was, uh, you know, I was an overweight kid in high school, so um, my experience with bullies uh, there was uh, rather limited. I was kind of – I was a little bit popular with just about every sort of strata of uh, social – you know, networking there uh, at uh, my house, high school in Atlanta, uh, but uh, you know, uh, uh, my experience with any kind of thing close to bu- being bullied was uh, was to react very strongly and forcefully against it, and also to get into sort of a uh, little bit of a mocking uh, phase of the of the the first person who tried to bully me. I just mocked them and. Uh, and the entire class just sort of uh broke up at it, and it was over and uh I did lose my cool against one person uh once and um uh, it did get uh it did get crazy but uh I definitely showed that I wasn't gonna get bullied uh so I think that's important right yeah, um, yeah they,
1: when I was in school it was definitely i witnessed a lot of things and saw a lot, and uh it was always just there were times, several times where I saw the people that were getting bullied stand up for themselves or do something and it always stopped and never would happen again. And, you know, it's just sad. Mm -hmm. It really is that there's a lot of kids that go through that kind of stuff. And, you know, in our movie, we, we didn't even tackle the social media element of it. And in our, our characters sort of dodge, even wanting to, to, you know, it's almost something that they're intuitive about. It's like, they don't even want to be on social media or have phones uh, because, you know, it would be, uh, com- you know, compromising their own sort of beliefs. And, you know, because today yeah. it's in social media, when you're bullied at school, it doesn't stop at school. You know, you take yeah. that home, you you bring that, it, it, it's, it it's created a bigger issue with the extent of bullying that goes on because, you know, it doesn't just stop when you go home for the day, you know. Uh, but that's yeah. something we you know i think in the movie and the book what was really special about it is it didn't blame one particular thing it never said oh this kid's nerdy looking or and that's why he's getting bullied It, it, it this kid you know this social media element we can't blame that we can't blame just questionable parenting or just bullying or you know anything to do with guns like it really our intention was to strip all that away and go look like there are other elements that can lead people down these sort of choices. And, uh, you know, I thought at that age was a a very, uh, strong choice for, for the film because, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a falling out with one of my best friends in high school and it's devastating. And, you know, I can only imagine if you're that lonely, I wasn't a lonely kid or I had a lot of friends, but you know, that kind of thing can kind of just shake your world up.
0: Hmm. No question. I want to ask you. You know. Uh, you know. We'll get back to the to cast to uh, to the cast a little bit. But uh, you know, are you are you trepidatious at all uh, 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 to the you know to the reaction uh, from audiences to the film? Uh, you know, either politically or socially.
1: You know, I mean, to say that I wasn't conscious about it in pre-production and even while shooting and throughout the whole process even up to now it would be a lie but it's definitely something that um, you know no matter what you do there could be people that are not happy about it you know because there are victims here like we were making a movie that is putting you in the headspace of people that are thinking of killing their classmates and um, I think for victims just to even know that that's even being made can be frustrating um, to give it that attention but you know, I think the way we handled it, um, it, it it isn't trying to say that here here's an answer, but it's at least trying to come up with, you know, putting you in a place where you can try and understand some of the things you go through that are that intense and you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that and it's being sensitive to other people that uh uh was definitely on the forefront of our mind. So, you know, um you know after Parkland too, there is definitely a shift in kind of what people are willing to talk about in a way um, and you can see that i mean you know we're coming out on the seventeenth of April and um you know that's three days be- or it's uh two days be- or three days before the national walkout and mm-hmm. um, the nineteenth nineteenth anniversary Columbine I think ten years ago that would be like suicide for a film in a way but mm-hmm. I think that um you know we want to be part of that conversation. We want to you know, we w- how can we help with this film and in, in, in doing that? And uh, you know,
0: uh I think it's important. Uh, mm-hmm. extremely important movie. Um you know uh it's uh, it's such an emotionally affecting movie uh um you know it's uh, it's overwhelming. Um the uh, it feels the film seems timeless uh it's not more i mean it feels like it's more in a kind of a place that could be any place uh, which i think is by design uh you know uh, uh you know uh, it it's really an incredible movie uh um uh I want to move on to some of the adult cast uh which includes melanie linsky who People might remember from Heavenly Creatures, which you know might have been a uh, you know an uh, influence on this movie, and um, uh, and uh, you know uh, Tony Vale who plays the principal, and and uh, you know the Emmy winner, and uh, and then you know uh, uh, Justin Long as the dad. Uh, you know uh, 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 your philosophies there when you when you.
1: Cast these films it's I, I, you know for all of them, I think there was an element of coming on board on something important, and they they recognized that um and uh you know if, you know justin, I know we got him on board a, a, a few days before he had to come out before we were you know started shooting, so I didn't get a lot of time with but um I mean he came in you know he yeah, I don't think he'd ever played a father before, and so this was definitely something new for him that you know, he accepts, you know, he accepted it and can embrace that challenge. And, um, you know, Melanie as well, I think, you know, they all did it for the material and and how important I think they saw it. Um, in terms of like Tony Hale, uh, you know, I think he had worked with one of our producers before. So there was already a relationship there. Same with Carrie Preston. And, um, you know, I think they were all supporting the narrative, which is obviously this whole movie follows one or two kids. Um, so there wasn't any sort of, like, you know, I don't know. Some, I'm sure some, certain actors sometimes, you know, it, you come into a supporting role, it's like, oh, it's not a huge part. But I think they all saw the uh, potential for it. And uh, it, it, it's funny. For me, about, like, I I really and big on vetting actors and, and what they're like to work with and asking people that have worked with them, like, what do you think? You know, because like I said, it's, it's really difficult to get a movie going. And you don't want to get stuck with a bad seat ever. And, uh, making a film with every single one of them was, um, very, very, very easy. And, and what they brought to it, it you know, it, it, just added to, um, you know, you, you think you make a a, a film like this, a dark film, with a tough subject, I mean, again, behind the scenes, it's we're all. I think we knew what, we had something special, and um, you know, we had a lot of fun doing. it. You know, it, it, it's it, it was a very safe sort of environment when we were performing, and you're just watching, and you're like, uh, you know, there's not there's not always a lot you need to to tell them. I mean, they get it. you hire them to do a job, so
0: you know, right? You just kind of guide them along the way. This is just a little commentary that I have in my notes. So you know, I, you know, I love the scenes with the dad uh, and the mother, uh, who attack parenting quite differently. The dad is kind of a uh, kind of a little bit of a jerk, I think. Uh, maybe a maybe was a bully in his in his own uh, teen years or whatever. Uh, and the mother is really. Uh, Terrifically understanding. Uh, it's a little bit of a good cop bad cop thing going on, uh, and uh, no, I don't know. Do you do you think you, uh, do you think uh, Edwin's dad was uh, might have been a bully?
1: I mean, I don't know so much about him necessarily being a bully. I think it's as simple as you know frustration coming out and uh, mm. not being able to connect to his kid in a way. And, right. and dealing with things with humor, with humor and not necessarily realizing the consequences behind some of his jokes, um, even if he's genuinely kidding and it's sort of lighthearted jokes, you know, I think the lack yeah. of kind of comprehending what, what your child's going through and letting that frustration come out is just doesn't bring you any closer to, to the kid or figuring out what's going on. Um, because let's be honest, adults, they have a lot going on in their life. Like you got bills, you have house payments, you got other kids you gotta deal with who are growing up and that are younger and they need that sort of attention. And so I think it's a little more complicated than, you know, him just being a bully as a father. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't you know what I mean? It's I, I, I think that would be interesting <laughs> to think about. I mean I'm not saying that that's not a case, like um for for him as a father. I mean Flake's parents are a slight Uh, more detached from their own kid, I think a little more based out of frustration as well because their kid is probably a lot more difficult than Edwin was, you know? And so they've almost felt, you know, kind of washed their hands in a way of them, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it has to just, you know, some parents have a lot harder time dealing with them because the kid is a little more difficult for whatever it is. It's, doesn't mean that you should go unnoticed or that you should wash your hands. I mean, it's just a matter of kind of recognizing it and, you know, doing what you can and to listen to them and see what those, like I said, those little tiny things that lead to that bad decision. When if one slight positive thing came their way, what is that? How does that change things? You know? Um, yeah. But yeah. I want to,
0: um, I want to move on to the, to the release strategy of the movie, which uh, can you tell us how people can see it and uh, whether they'll be seeing it at theaters at all? Will it get a theatrical run? Are you thinking... I know this is early, but I really think you should consider an Oscar campaign uh, because I think it would be really strong. Uh, So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean...
1: Uh, uh, God bless you with the Oscar campaign.
0: (laughs) No, I feel that strongly. I'm glad
1: you responded to this. I mean, um, you know, we come out uh, April 17th, and we'll be available on on demand, digital. Um, They're doing uh, theatrical, like, cause, like with uh, screenings at uh, festivals leading up, like all this month, and we're going to several different... States for screenings with sort of uh, with organizations, um, groups, and having you know panels afterward with you know some students that have uh, actually been through school shootings. Um, mm. Groups like uh, 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 Sandy Hook Promise and um, just many different cause and group organizations that are being a part of this, and you know that is, I think you know, a sort of campaign that I'm really into for this film, because it gets people talking and and knowing it's out there. Um, So I'm excited to do that just to kind of hear other people talk, other people talk about it, you know, people that are dealing with
0: this every day and, and in how this
1: film can help and just hear their perspective on it. You know,
0: I do feel like this is a big screen movie. It's got a big widescreen look and feel to it. It's got, like we said, the great sound, the great, uh, photography, it really pulls you into it, and, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, really amazing, uh, amazing work, um, you know. Thanks so much, Dean. I appreciate it, and, you know, even being
1: on here, uh, I really appreciate the support. Your parents ever try to get you interested in sports? Nah. What do you care? I know you're having a hard time. A lot of kids have a hard time. When are we going to stop this sport, huh? How about a new friend? Maybe a friend that you haven't seen every single day since you were five?
0: What am I thinking right now? I wish they'd leave me alone. Mm. <laughs> He's thinking, why do we have to eat with them? It's okay to be gay, you know? What are you talking about? You
1: gotta help me with the skid buds and ski. My yeah, kicked all the time. All I know is someone's gotta do something. You can't go on like this, man. Uh, Freddie, no! This... no! Get out of my house! You alright?
0: Want me to clean you up? I, don't know. Okay. I think this is gonna turn out to be normal. <laughs> you're not abnormal. You're not? No, you're not. That's something I'm
1: up <laughs> That's the normal you're aspiring to.